Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review radio show for July 2020. I'm Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. Welcome everyone. Hi, hi everyone. Hello. Hey. Good afternoon everyone. Hello. We've got loads going on this month. Uh, lots of industry news, lots of uh, comings and goings in the ITAM industry. Um, I'd like to start with uh, some hardware asset management fraud going on. I thought, it, I, do you know what? I thought the headline from Yorkshire Post was really interesting. Sky betting IT boss carried out £220,000 fraud in laptop scam at the company's office in Leeds. And then you read through it and you think, that wasn't the IT boss. <laughs> There's no way that was the IT boss committing that fraud. It was somebody else. So who was it? A guy called Richmond who had worked at the company for more than three years and was responsible for ordering IT equipment. But he had authority to order up to £50,000 worth of equipment a month before requiring a counter signature from the head of the finance department. So he's somebody pretty senior with a with you know the ability to buy that much all at once but then he has access to uh, this to vendor portals and things and and told the vendors to not put serial numbers on portals and stuff so it it just it's a bit bizarre because how he committed the fraud is is the sort of thing that an it asset manager would be doing every day um and you can't imagine that a company that an it boss is doing it but then on the other hand 50k signing is is pretty big and most IT asset managers would really not be allowed to sign anything off precisely in order to reduce the chance of fraud like this so anyway Ailey, I think there's also quite a bit of naivety from the vendors because they're actually shipping to the gentleman's uh, home address I believe and how would you allow that yeah the, I, I don't think it, the vendors it, it will be very um, yeah old. Um, and I think the thing I took pick out of it is no Skybet are a, they're they're a big organisation they're they're part of, they're part of Sky, um, and this sounds like you, I'm kind of surprised that it goes on in such a large organisation. Um, they haven't got the right controls in place, particularly considering what what their business is. Um, they are a pretty heavily regulated industry. It happened in an organisation I was working for, actually, and that was one of the reasons why I, I was employed, was because they they knew that they suspected the fraud was going on, but they didn't know who or what or how and knew they needed to improve their controls. This was years ago, but it was it was just, it was like a, an engineer who'd been nicking laptops and he certainly didn't steal £250,000 worth. Absolutely. I, I think it all comes down to a lack of oversight and governance, right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a small company or a large company. Uh, in my past lives, I've, I've been in charge of procuring IT assets as well as managing them from an IT asset management perspective. And that's, you know, that's a slippery, risky thing to put one person in charge of, right? I mean, there's no, there's no oversight. There's no checks and balances in that case. The same person responsible for buying something is also the person responsible for tracking it. That, that in and of itself is a... Uh, conflict of interest right and do you know what it's the finance department's responsibility or accountability to to stop that there's rules in the way accounting sort of accounting rules around um making sure that the person who signs stuff off is different from the person who receives it and that sort of thing so yeah, absolutely clearly they didn't follow the basic accounting principles of separation of duties and things like that as well which is interesting so you could say the rot in this case extends well beyond the it stuff absolutely is it saying how long he was pilfering this stuff for it was several months i think Just a um, couple of months yeah yeah yeah. I'm curious, how, where do you put 220 grand's worth of kit in your house? Well, it's, it's almost a Yeah, but it's, it, was a, it was only um, 200 MacBook Pros, roughly. So, no, I mean, okay, yeah, probably you wouldn't have space for 200, but you could probably get 50 under your bed. Um, so, <laughs> Is that a bit experience, AJ? Absolutely. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Having <laughs> actually flown places um, and and taking kit out with me, it's surprising what you can get in hand luggage. 
Um, so, um, yes. You know, it's it's sad as you as you read through some of the articles around this. You know, uh, the 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 gentleman who was accused of of committing this fraud was was not only you know robbing his his company, but um, was then turning around and selling all of this gear out on eBay, um, and and shockingly a, a large portion of it um, of nearly the two hundred and forty three thousand dollars that uh, this gentleman made from selling all of these sto these stolen equipment, uh, one hundred and fifty nine thousand of it was bought by a single individual. <laughs> via via ebay um it goes on to say that this this the gentleman being accused is uh was also having some difficulties with you know substance abuse and all sorts of other issues right so it seems like there was many failures that were that within the organization itself that kind of led to it yeah. um and and it, the lack of the general basic lack of controls checks balances three-way match right from an accounting perspective right yeah. your po your your request and your receipt um or your invoice your purchase order and and receipt uh proof of receipt all those things weren't happening right so you know the company almost set themselves up uh unfortunately i hate to put it this way you know but um you almost you know you almost set yourself up for this to happen by not taking at least a basic approach of trying to control your spend yeah. yeah, absolutely right, Brett. And it hates companies again and again and again, even the most tightly mm -hmm. regulated ones, because somebody, there's just an oversight or, you know, somebody doesn't think to check what's happening in IT. Uh, yeah, so. Absolutely. Yep. If you want to prevent this world, you want to prevent this type of fraud, you want to prevent this type of uh, theft within your business, you have to be anal about your uh, hardware asset and software asset purchasing uh, receiving and accounting processes yeah. without being anal in those areas you're gonna open yourself to the risk of theft and fraud it's just it's plain and simple and it's not even just IT it's everything when money's involved people will find a way to steal it if you're not careful yeah absolutely all right do you know what this place where I was working where they're having the laptops nicked they um, they got me in and, and of course, I immediately started putting the, the processes and the controls in place. And they, and, and it, it was all, to them, they'd had a suspicion that laptops were disappearing. But of course, they didn't want to suspect any of their colleagues. So then I arrive and I put the controls in place and suddenly, you know, 15 laptops were disappearing every, every delivery or something like that. And I was discovering them. And so their immediate reaction was actually to think maybe Kylie's stealing them. So one of my more indignant moments of my employment that I, I think about occasionally is when I got this instant message from one of the one of the other desktop support engineers who was sort of the a senior one of the senior guys saying Kylie um, I can't remember how he, but he basically said oh I don't suppose you, you've got any laptops um, for sale we could just sell them down the market we could get like 150 quid for them each and I was like what? And I, and I, what, I was only been there like three weeks. I was like, what do I do now? Oh no. I, I, yeah. So I sort of sat on my hands and then, and then after work, I went and rang a, a friend of mine who, who was a lot older. So she got a lot more experience and she said, don't do anything. Just leave it. Don't say anything. Um, just, I, I just, just ignore it. So I was like, okay, so I ignored it. And it, do you know what? It took me about 10 years to realize that what had happened was that they were sort of quite hopeful that it was me nicking them, obviously, because that would be the easy solution. It would mean that none of their, that they didn't have to worry about, you know, one of their colleagues betraying them. Mm. And so the boss had said to, to his, one of his most senior guys, look, can you just check to see whether Kylie would would sell you some laptops or, or sort of work with you to, to sell the, the, the laptops down the market just to check that she's not the one stealing them. <laughs> you know, ITAN I puts you in some funny, ambiguous and moral moments occasionally. That's, that was one of them. The thing is, there's no excuse for, for not being able to keep track of your kit. Pre-year 2K, I worked for a utility company and as a techie, and we were removing slabs of memory from machines, and the people who were managing the uh, the Tivoli tool set at the time were ringing us up and saying, "Have you been removing uh, memory?" And they knew at that that level of detail what was going on, mm -hmm. and yet now, twenty, thirty years later, whatever, 
you know, we, we're still having these sorts of issues. So it's, it's not a problem which uh, is old or new sort of thing. Other industry news, this is again from the UK uh, in the register. Um, basically, to cut a long story short, Cornwall Council, which is a local council in the UK, um, were paying supposedly two million for Oracle licenses that they weren't using of a total contract of four million. Uh, basically, because reading between the lines, it's, it's, it's because they hadn't yet used them yet. That's the gist of it. And they were pulled over the coals for this waste. Um, I don't know where I, where I sit on this one because it is pretty standard practice to buy this stuff up front and yet it is public money not being used properly. Where, 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 where do you guys sit on this? So for me personally, I, I think this is, uh, yet again, I say sadly, because this sort of thing happens all the time and I've seen it firsthand in a lot of organisations, both private and public. It's a failure of coordination between projects and procurement, um, I think is what's happened. Here. But one thing I want to add to this as well that I think is particularly interesting, I think this started as a political issue um, because the, the councillor that actually highlighted the issue in, in, um, in the first place is in the, one of the minority parties on that council. Um, and it's actually controlled by the, the council controlled by other parties. So I, I wondered if there was a, originally a political motivation to act, actually behind this, this whole piece. But I mean, it is that they've, I mean, Oracle Cloud ERP or Oracle ERP is a complicated um, set of products anyway, e-business suite is particularly complex. and. You know, they've, they're basically upgrading their ERP capability and they've invested in the licenses. I don't know whether due diligence was done on the, on the contracts before they signed the contracts. All of us have, to some degree, had experience of Oracle and, and contracts and licensing, so we know how um, tricky they can be to deal with if, uh, if you're not wise to their ways. Um, but it, as I say, it also smacks to me like it was a bit of a failure because the guy actually running the project has, has actually come back and said, well, do you know what? This is down to poor procurement controls because we've done a, a contract review in the project and we've actually managed to cut out a load of waste now as well. But I think it's uh, it's it's just a failure of people to talk to each other again is, is the way it feels to me. But I, I could be reading that incorrectly. I think you're spot on that it's political. But can I stick my hand up right here? I, I've not bought Oracle shelfware, but I have bought other vendor shelfware we put the cost in the business case, knew that there was implementation risk uh, and that if our implementation was delayed, that that would increase the amount of shelfware. And we still went ahead and bought it because it meant that we got the longer term enterprise discounts, volume discounts. I mean, let's face it as well, you know, there was some potential audit risk in the background to encouraging us. So. So, I, you know, I'm really torn. I've bought shelfware. Does that make me a bad software asset manager? I, I don't think it does. Not Absolutely not. Everybody's, nice. everybody's done it to some extent. And, and every Absolutely. organization goes through this life cycle. You know, I mean, I, I, I've witnessed so many projects, as I said, in so many different organizations doing exactly that because it gets them a better financial deal, potentially. Yeah, I think the struggle in this sense is that it's, it's, it's public money. Right. So, you know, just like you, Kylie, I've bought shelfware and I've, I've signed on. I know I'm not using this, but I'm not going to get rid of it because if I do, then my, my discount percentage might go down. Right. So this, mm -hmm. I'll spend a thousand dollars here to save $5,000 over there. Mm -hmm. Right. Or add a um, few zeros. Oh yeah. I'm trying to keep it simple <laughs> for people. <laughs> trying to keep it simple. Um, but exactly. It's the same premise applies, right? I'll spend a hundred thousand here if it saves me, you know, 300,000 down the road. Right. Um, it makes sense to do that. The challenge is how do you communicate that to a public who doesn't live in our world, yeah. right? Who isn't necessarily, Absolutely. Um, you know, an ITS manager or even in IT, let or alone human. Uh, exactly yeah. understand the differences and how this all works and how the, the the entire industry operates. And then on top of that, you layer in government, <laughs> any government yeah. in mm -hmm. any country and anywhere in the world, and. Now, what makes complete sense to everyone else, you know, within a particular industry or even just in the business realm is muddied, right? Um, so while, you know, they, they maybe bought a Oracle product that's too big for, for their needs, I can't say, I don't know a darn thing about Cornwall, but I can say that, you know, the, the situation is fraught with, with innuendo, muddy, murky, yeah 
facts, what is fact and what isn't. Um, and the, the idea that public money, you know, I spent more to save some later, but you didn't, you spent everybody else's money. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the you thing, know? isn't it? That's, that's the thing. Exactly. I mean, in the, in, in, in the public sector, I think, in government, you have obviously, you know, there is a, almost a, an, an additional burden upon yourself to be cognizant of the fact that you are spending public money. I, I mean, I, I've done a few big um, central government engagements over the last 10 years or so. And certainly the mantra is very often, you know, when you're doing something like this, um, the, the mantra is, what would the Daily Mail's readers say? And for those outside the UK, the Daily Mail's a, a daily newspaper in the UK that likes to tub thump and, and rabble rouse and, you know, point fingers at the government and say, oh, you're not doing this properly. So it, it, there is that there is that thing there where you do have to be conscious. I mean, speaking for myself, I mean, um, from the US, the US point of view, um, right. I mean, we've all been having a jolly good laugh in this country about all the shenanigans around the Jedi contract, you know, what's going on there with the Department of Defense and everyone suing each other about that. And it's, it's just gone mad. Really has. And, and by the end of that, we'll, we, we, well, when I say we, I mean taxpayers, will have spent more money on lawsuits and defending lawsuits than we <laughs> would have had they just picked one darn vendor and gone with them. Yeah. Right? Um, Absolutely. So thank you for doubling the cost or something, you know, <laughs> um, the initial project cost oh, from the get-go before yeah. even going live. Thank yeah, you, Governor. Absolutely. Just to put a positive spin on this, uh, just doing a little bit of Googling, and it looks as if Cornwall Council in end of, 19, uh, end of 2019 uh, tried to employ a software asset manager. Mm. So it looks as if they are taking Sam quite seriously. About two million quid too late, though, by the sound of things. Yeah, but... <laughs> Which is often the case, of course, isn't it? You know, um, yeah. Absolutely. You have an unpleasant experience with Oracle and you start to do Sam at the very least. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Moving on, a couple of acquisitions this month that are interesting in terms of um, consolidation in the industry. So the, um, the license management specialist, Bilay, based out of the lovely city of Utrecht in uh, Netherlands, have been acquired by Software One. And Navacourt, which I think were based out of um, Sydney, maybe, Melbourne. Yeah, Sydney. Um, Sydney were acquired by Crayon. Um, so these are two independent license management, license negotiation suppliers being acquired by resellers, effectively. Um, what do we think of this? It's, um, I, I remember speaking to somebody just after the acquisition, and they said it, it gives the CIO one less choice in terms of independent advice. Um, but on the flip side, you've got the resellers that are really gearing up with some of the bigger vendors. Um, what do we think about this? I think I think with Belay as well. I mean, they, they obviously started off as a as an Oracle house, is my understanding, um, because obviously Richard Spithoven um, worked for several years for Oracle. But I mean, they, they've actually extended their reach as well. They do a lot of stuff across the data center now as well. Um, IBM, SAP, VMware, particularly, they've got they've got special uh, specialities and people who are experts in those particular vendors as well. I think the independent Oracle marketplace is a crowded one anyway, isn't it? Because obviously you had Belay, you had, had Navigal who'd been acquired, but there's also Redress Compliance, there's Palisade Compliance, there's Licensed Consulting, which is Daniel Hessling's firm. So there's, there's a lot going on in, in that space. And maybe it was something like that that, that maybe drove Belay in part to make that decision. Maybe it was time to, to hang their hat on with a, a larger organisation to maybe try and maximise the benefits of uh, doing what they do. Does this mean that it's also a reflection of the, the resource market within IT asset management? That larger organisations are thinking, actually, let's buy out smaller organisations because that's one way of acquiring talent. I mean, certainly out of the, the independent consultancies, they, um, they are probably um, one of the stronger performing ones out there. I, thought, I always thought they had a good reputation. Yeah. And, you know, we've just been through an almighty tremor in the market. You, you never know what's going on behind the scenes, do you? No, no that is very true. That is very true. But there is an awful lot of consolidation going on at the yes. moment in this industry. Gartner Magic Quadrant, I think, is this third on the bounce now? Third one they've done? Second? Yep. It's their third. Third or fourth? Third, yep. Um, a little bit later this, this year. Um, it was out in April the previous two years. I guess something got in the way of it being done back in April. Um, 
uh, recognition of the importance of the market. Um, I think the headlines, um, three new vendors and th uh, entered, three, um, three vendors dropped. Um, they changed their inclusion criteria, which is part of the reason why some, some of them have dropped away. Um, but um, yeah, so new entrants, uh, Sotero and Licensed Dashboard from the UK. Matrix or Matrix 42 um, from Germany come in and dropped out of 1E, Bellarc uh, and Avanti. So I think, uh, I mean, one of the things around the inclusion and exclusion criteria that's new this year is they have recognized um, that SaaS is important. So rather than doing a separate magic quadrant for SaaS management or, or enterprise SaaS management, they're, they're bundling it in with um, with SAM, which makes sense because it's all software. For example, one of the criteria it has to be you have to have built-in connector to either Adobe, Microsoft, or Salesforce to um, to manage those, those those SaaS platforms. I think it's looking more like a magic quadrant, doesn't it? Because the first, certainly the first one was a bit of a mishit, I think. Um, but it's looking it's looking pretty solid now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's there's a new author this year as well. Um, Ryan, uh, Ryan Stefani's taken over this one, and so it's um, uh, a single author on this as well. And um, it, yeah, has it, there's there's a change from last year definitely. And without getting into which quadrants the best to be in too much, um, do bear in mind when you look at these things that just because you're a niche player doesn't mean that you haven't got a great product. And if you're interested in that in that niche, that makes sense to go with someone who is a niche player who's who's only providing the the services that you need, for example, way out in the what's considered to be the best quadrant, um, our service now Flexera and Snow. Well, there's there, I, I, there's a there's a wide variety of capability between those three. That's for sure. Um, I'm I'm sure we, we'd all agree on that. Um, service now is maturing pretty rapidly. Um, Flexera and Snow have been around around for a while, but they're all pretty different tools. And it's interesting that ServiceNow have gone into the leaders section. So they've, they've gone from, in, in Gartner's eyes at least, they've gone from the, oh, they've entered the market, but they're not quite yet there yet, which is what mm. we've been playing for a couple of years, into the actually their contenders now. Well, well, they are, because simply because they, um, Gartner, uh, one, one whole dimension of the, um, of the Magic Quadrant is about ability to, ability to execute. And clearly ServiceNow have got, they are the biggest player in this market in terms of financial capital, scope, employees, any measure you care to you care to do. So if they want to go for this market, they, they can go and do it. And the completeness of vision side of the quadrant as well, once again, they're looking at it from ITAM, built in with the CMDB, integrated into IT financial management, IT business management, IT ops, so it's kind of this platform approach is the way it should be going um, for very large organizations that need to have these um, IT asset management capabilities. Uh, clearly that, that makes sense. A big platform approach um, makes sense, which is why they're, they're there in the leaders quadrant. It's interesting. Aerosent still is, is in there because Aerosent has been around for years mm -hmm. and not many people use it that I've come across. I think it's used by um, service providers in SIs and things. This is the only time I've really come across it. We've certainly had reviews from um, financial insurance um, and some defense as well in, right. in the US, but I think they are quite US focused. Um, they've, got, they've got a great tool. Um, you know, they've, they, they've been around as probably almost the longest I would say mm. out of all the players in, on, actually in the Magic Quadrant and yeah. of course once you've been around for a long time it's pretty tricky to have that visionary tag that moves you across in, in, mm. into the leadership quadrant because uh, you've done that you've, you've done the vision thing and now you're now you're executing and, uh, and moving things along um, you know Aspera in there as a challenger the reason the whole reason Aspera are there as a challenger and not in the leadership quadrant, as far as I can see from the, from the report. And I should add as well, the, um, if you want to read the magic quadrant as of recording this, both Aspera and snow have got downloadable copies from the websites in exchange for your personal details. Um, so if you, if you want to go and read all this stuff, then, 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 uh, that's a nice bit of nighttime reading for the weekend. 
and yeah, you know, Aspera is a challenger simply because they Gartner feel they're focused too heavily on software compliance and not doing the added stuff that we're kind of expecting from tools right now. Right. Industry news, Slack flinging mud at Microsoft. So uh, Slack have filed a complaint with the European Union uh, claiming that uh, Microsoft is illegally tying its Teams product to um, the Office Productivity Suite. Um, so echoes of the, the browser wars of, what, 15 years ago or so? 10, 15 years ago? I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, so, and, and, and they're saying that it's anti-competitive because it, it's, Microsoft are forcing people to install it, they're blocking its removal, um, and it actually forces small organizations that focus on a sort of a niche bit of the, the market like Slack, uh, it, it causes them problems. Um, for, for our younger listeners, what is what was the browser wars? So, so the, the, the browser wars, so once upon a time, uh, Microsoft would bundle Internet Explorer automatically into Windows and it would be the default browser and it was very tricky to, to get rid of it and actually use a different browser should you wish to. Um, and Microsoft were subject to anti-competitive uh, legislation uh, and were forced to recognize that there are other browsers available in the market. Um, so we then got the whole browser choice scenario where you logged into Windows for the first time and were then given a range of options as to, as to which browser you would like to select, but that didn't actually last that long as I recall. It was, it was a massive thing at the time, wasn't it? It, it was huge. And Absolutely can I just make everybody huge. feel really old, Barry? It wasn't 10 years ago. It wasn't 15 years ago. It was the late 90s. It oh, was shut the front 20 door. years ago. <laughs> really, that long ago. <laughs> it really was. I, I only have fleeting memories of the of the browser wars oh, myself. Shit. I was I, I was a, I was still a child, but I do remember Netscape. You know, so I mean, I I, I acknowledge I am nearly fifty, and I've been doing bra uh, internet stuff. Uh, sorry, IT stuff for a long time. But come on, twenty years ago, really? Isn't yes. that's yeah, that's. Isn't Slack a different use case to Teams anyway? Is it not really? Important? Well, I, I think this is interesting because part of, of uh, Slack's um, press release on, on, on it is um, their VP of communications has said that, that they are actually confident that they can beat Microsoft when it comes to the merits of their product. I, I think that's disingenuous at best. Um, this is just my personal opinion. I'm happy for other people to be corrected. Now, I, I'm in the unique position that I use both Teams and Slack with different clients. I use, use Teams myself for my own business as well, but I use Slack through a client. And actually, I, I think in terms of comparing uh, the two products, you, you can't compare them apples for apples because they're different products. Uh, Slack focuses much more on the messaging capabilities. Um, and I think that's, that's what they believe Microsoft are worried about because I think in one sense, Slack believes that the messaging capabilities that come with their tool will, will see an end to um, office email. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case because again, I think there's always gonna be a use case for email. Uh, Slack is, is almost an instant messaging app, but it's great because you can, you can create a channel, you can invite people into that channel for a team, for a project or, or whatever, for example, and then you can message them all at the same time. And it is, it is really, really good for that. But in terms of actual product features, I think, I mean, obviously in Slack, you don't have video conferencing capability. And I think that's probably, particularly at the moment, after everything that's gone on over the last few months, I think that's possibly why Slack is suffering a bit, because it is all about instant messaging and integrating with other tool sets. You can bring Google in there, you can bring Microsoft's uh, Office files in there, all this sort of stuff. But it doesn't have a video conferencing capability. And I think if you're gonna go up against Teams, you need to have that capability. I couldn't agree more at all. Um, I think we're both on the same page. They are fundamentally different tools. Um, they have some overlap, right? Uh, but the, the number one driver for what makes teams stronger in this environment in today's world is that video messaging capability. On the flip side, Slack has the third party integrations and in, in very unique uh, capabilities where you can integrate third-party workflow into Slack. So when someone says something in Slack, it, it actually creates an action outside of Slack um, in another tool set to do something else, right? Um, and vice yeah. versa, which is really, really interesting. You know, if, if you're in Slack and you say, hey, I, 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 this tool, this other tool is killing me, I need help, it could, it, it could 
instantly spawn you a you know a support ticket within your primary um, ticketing system, right? And and then suddenly someone's there to help you, right? I mean that's pretty nifty stuff, right? That's pretty cool technology that that is not built in directly within Teams, um, but you know there's a global pandemic and we're not allowed to see each other anymore. So video conferencing yeah, is pretty good. Absolutely. You know? I think the only reason Microsoft would be worried about this, and I don't think they'll be worried because, you know, as we've just discussed is they're not really direct competitors, but I think micro, the only reason Microsoft might be worried is because of the impact, the potential impact of a slack win on its entire bundling policy. If you think of the way they bundle, applications together, not just in Office 365, but throughout that Microsoft 365 stack, I've felt for a long time it's quite anti-competitive. It really impacts organizations, uh, sort of the way organizations buy products. And if you're a standalone niche vendor, you would be finding it very difficult to compete against, against Microsoft because of the way they bundle their products. So I think yeah. that's, for me, is, is the, the the only thing that would worry Microsoft, and, and that's the really interesting thing and that I, I would be making me watch this court case to see the outcome. Absolutely. I, th I think that's absolutely spot on because I think, does, does Slack's complaint have merit? Absolutely. Because, you know, Microsoft do bundle teams. To be fair, it's very easy to remove it. Um, the, the, the point about they block people from removing it, that's completely untrue. Microsoft even actually have a publicly available support page which tells you exactly how to remove it. Um, but yes, I, I agree. It is it is uh, anti-competitive in the fact that they do bundle it. And if you have an Office 365 subscription, you have access to Teams. And if you've got Teams, and the way they're developing that capability, you probably wouldn't look at something like Slack. We covered uh, Travelex at the start of the year, and Sonos. Now Garmin seems to be suffering another ransomware attack. Yep, I'll uh, I'll take this one um, mainly because I'm a Garmin user and I can't could not up, upload my epic ride from this morning. Uh, if you don't upload it, you didn't do it, AJ. Exactly. <laughs> if it's not on Strava, it's not there. So, um, yeah, so so Garmin. Um, now this is a this is really interesting because this is a consumer goods company that also does really important stuff in aviation and maritime as well. So. The consumer side of it is what's getting all, getting all the um, notice. They've, they've had a ransomware attack. Their entire systems are down internally, in, all their internal systems, all their customer-facing systems, all their services, completely unavailable worldwide. It's been down for, as of recording, about 24 hours. Based on previous recoveries from uh, ransomware attacks, if, not, if they're not paying the ransom, then they're, they're rebuilding their entire infrastructure. And that took, for example, Maersk two weeks. Um, so we could be on for a very long piece of downtime here. The important thing is, apart from that, that I couldn't upload my, upload my ride from this morning, was that um, this also affects pilots. Pilots use Garmin software to file flight plans, plan flight plans, look at weather and things like that for, um, uh, for, for their flights. And uh, that's, a that's a legal requirement. They have to be able to do that. So they'll be scrambling around looking for a different provider potentially to try and get that information before before they take off. Um, it ha happens in maritime as well. But I think for me here, the interesting thing is all those product lines are running on the same IT infrastructure. They're all connected. Surely you, I, I think it kind of exposes Garmin a little and saying, would you, would you, if you were relying on their aviation um, software and services, would you want that on the same platform as, as all the consumer services? It seems to me that that's a not the greatest architecture to have, um, and remains to be seen how long they're down for. Um, showing no signs of being down, uh, sorry, showing no signs of being back up. Um, they haven't had particularly great communication around this. They haven't come out yet and told users whether uh, there's been a data breach alongside. Just, just think, AJ, you're getting to geek out on both ITAM and Garmin cycling stuff. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good, actually. It's kind of, um, yes, I'm, I'm nothing to do with this. It wasn't me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, a, yeah, it's, uh, it's... Not to mention your maritime background. This this mm. breach could be made for you. Yeah, uh, maritime and, and aviation. I, you okay. know, um, uh, I'd have to look into it, but I'm pretty sure you have to have um, working navigation equipment um, at certain classes of, um, of, of vessel. Moving on, moving on, moving on. IT asset depreciation via the medium of cake. Like, 
Chuck Buster. <laughs> Chuck and Buster! Why do people depreciate assets? And please explain it by the medium of, medium of cake. It's basically eating your cake, but having it too, isn't it? One little slice at a time. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a stab at it. I'll take a stab at it. Come on. Yeah, this is Come my on, first bro. ever explain anything by cake. So no, don't hold me to it. Here we go. Hold so, on, hold on. It's not, it's not your first one. It's it, not, it, it might not be your first one. Um, well, I think the others might have ended up on the cutting room floor, Sharissa. Oh, that must be it. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Um, here's another one for the floor. Um, an IT asset, let's stick with hardware, a physical IT asset depreciate over time. Um, a laptop is a great example. Many companies use a laptop, they have a standard depreciation or life cycle over three years. So they will capitalize that, that asset over three years and they will depreciate it one month at a time. They will, you know, 36 months across the board. If you had a $3,600 laptop, that would mean every month $100 worth of value is deprecated off of the, that asset. Right. Um, in terms of cake, you have a 3,600 sliced cake and every month one slice is removed and eventually there will be no slices left of that cake, at which point you can extrapolate from that, that you have obtained all of the, the monetary value possible from that device over the course of its established three year life cycle um, or your cake. And at which point you can either milk it and, and obtain even more value if applicable in your situation, or you can rest assured that you've hopefully maximized the value out of that asset investment. And now it's time to go and make a new investment for new technology or a new cake because I'm out of cake. Yes. So basically it's eating your cake very slowly. Is what very, you're saying, very right? slowly. <laughs> one bite at a time, one yeah. slice at a time over three years. Yeah. It better be a good cake. So if, if it's something that you, that there is an ongoing value and you could effectively resell it, it's, it's productive, then you put it on your capital account, you put it on your balance sheet. If it's something that you're going to consume straight away, you take it off, on, off your profit and loss. It's an expense. So what happens is if you buy a laptop, you're putting, you're, you're basically saying, I own a thousand pounds worth of laptop on your balance sheet. And if the company was sold, whoever bought the company would say, okay, we can see that there's X number of laptops at a thousand pounds worth. But two years, but a year down the track, that laptop's only worth 600 pounds. So you depreciate it by well, 333 pounds. And then two years down the road, you say, well, it's only worth 300 odd pounds because you've depreciated it over your two years. And then the assumption at the end of the time is that you're, it's worth nothing at the end of three years. And, and each of those years, you're taking 333 pounds and expensing them effectively. So it's coming off your profit and loss. So when you're a large company, the, the way you capitalize things and what you capitalize versus what you expense actually has a big impact on, or can have a big impact on your bottom line. And if you are owned by a private equity, it has an even bigger impact because um, your, your private equity owner will be measuring your performance as a company using a measurement called EBITDA that includes um, sort of your balance sheet and, and sort of those sorts of accounting details. So what you capitalise and how and when becomes quite important when you work in a large corporation. Uh, and being brutally frank, when you work in a large corporation and your and your C suite are trying to maximise their bonuses by making sure that they're um, ma either maximising their profit or maximising the the company's shareholder value, etc. Um, and what you capitalise and when is a way of doing that. Being really cynical. Now say all that in the guise of cake. I like I said, it's having your cake and eating it too. <laughs> well done. There you go. Isn't um, just dividing it by three because you're going to keep it for three years a bit primitive though because the yes. laptops typically do have value and you can resell them if you wanted to. It might not be a lot compared to the original price but it's still worth value which is potentially to be put on the bottom line, isn't it? To add value to the company. Well, yeah, and this comes back to 
one of the reasons why cloud has been so uh, disruptive and so challenging for many companies because what it does is it takes your ability away to postpone your purchases. So if you've got a laptop and officially, legally, you depreciate it over three years. So at the end of three years, officially it has zero value, but you, but you put off buying another laptop. Then like Brett was saying, if you don't buy a laptop for another two years, you've got an effective two years extra value out of that. So that's called sweating your assets. Now, when you do that across your IT estate, two things happen. One is that you um, save yourself a load of money, so it improves your cash, cash flow. Um, there's other things that happen accounting-wise that may or may not be preferable, depending on you know, what, what your C-suite's trying to do to get their bonuses. But the second thing that happens is that you end up with a very old-aged estate, and then you have to spend a shed load of money deciding what to do with it. Cloud, you can't capitalize, you can capitalize some aspects of the shift to cloud, like the project stuff often, but cloud can't be capitalized. It's just an expense year after year after year. So that's why it's been quite challenging for a lot of organizations, particularly those in private equity, to explain to the C-suite why they want to go down the cloud route. Whereas other companies that, for instance, you know, some of the PLC that I worked with, they had sweated their assets for years and they had to replace it because they, because otherwise things were going to start falling over and affecting the company. And so the cheap option for them, rather than going out and buying a load of new servers, was to go to cloud. So they went to cloud. I remember speaking to one of these soft, second-hand software brokers, uh, which obviously in, in Europe you can sell perpetual licenses that you don't need anymore under certain terms. And, and these brokers will manage that sale for you. But they said that they made money from not not just from this reselling of software and, and selling on somebody else, but actually from um, evaluating the value of the perpetual software existing in the estate. So that rather than writing off the perpetual software, they could actually say, actually, this is the market value of it if we were to sell it. And therefore, we can put it back on the bottom line. Do you see what I mean? Gosh, so they do that on a consulting basis. Yeah, they said, send us your inventory of what you have. Uh, and some of this, you know, you know, perpetual software, some of it might be 20 years old, but somebody somewhere might want to buy it. Right. And that gives it a market value, which means you can put it on the bottom line if you've already written it off. Well, I, I'm not, I, I don't know how finance works. I don't know if you can put it back on once you've taken it off. But No, it would go on your back onto your balance sheet. But I guess they, and there they was they some sort it. of accounting correction that happened, and then they that would it. improve your EBITDA. They did it specifically for that reason to say, you know, this software has got value in, in the open market and we know because this broker sells it. So take my inventory and evaluate the total cost of my inventory so I can put it back on the bottom line. And that's that can be that can run into millions onto the onto in terms of profitability. Wow, I didn't realise that. That's interesting. Uh, moving on, IT asset director. Job of the week. Where is this? IT Asset Director at... I liked this role because it's for a federated organisation. A-Hold Delhaize Global Support. Where's NC, Brett? Salisbury NC 28147. Where's that? Brett's on mute. Uh, I apologize. What? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> what state's that? <laughs> Salisbury? Salisbury, in, North in, Carolina. In, oh, North Carolina. Carolina. North Carolina. Oh, okay. North Carolina. I thought you were referring to a, a, a city in England, and I was like, why are you asking me? <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I saw the advert and thought, oh, that's up the road for me, because I'm literally... Yeah. Ten miles from Salisbury, England, with Stonehenge and all that stuff. So this is a big hitter, isn't it? It's um, one of these behind-the-scenes retailers, quarter of a million employees, forty billion euro turnover. Yep, and very federated. Each part, each operating company has its own IT organisation. So you would be working with each IT organisation to make sure that their uh, processes are in place assessing whether or not the processes are in place, providing, effectively providing consulting for them to help them improve, identifying areas where they need to improve and what they need to change. 
Um, yeah, it's, leading it's, without authority in a lot of ways too. It, it even references yeah. that uh, yeah. that you're required to have that strength. Um, it does also mention that you have a you know you do have a dispersed uh, team of your own um, across the globe, which is interesting. Um, but always, you know, as we all know, as everyone in ITAM in the ITAM industry knows, um, you know, it, it is a special skill to be able to uh, uh, lead an organization without having the authority to lead an organization in the right direction. And I can only imagine it's made more difficult in a global, uh, distributed, multiple IT or uh, pillar organization as well. One of the interesting parts from from my perspective as American is it actually says uh, willingness to over to travel overseas at least once a quarter as well. So, I mean, that's not something you you normally see in the U.S., especially within an ITAM role. Right. That, that, that they're hey, one, once every couple of you know, few months, you need to travel the globe, um, potentially. That's a uh, that's a unique perk for some or um, potentially a detriment for others if they don't feel like traveling around the world. Um, but uh, something you don't normally see in a U.S. based. IT asset management role. I notice in the package, you know, like they offer bonus scheme, expense allowance, etc. They also offer a laptop and a telephone. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so not be YID then. Hey, hey, hey! Sign me up. One of the things I find quite interesting is ten years of experience in SAM or a combination of IT, legal, audit and finance roles. So potentially their definition of relevant field is not necessarily going to be restricted to IT. That's, something. Uh, that's, that's a fair point. Yeah, it's a fair point. The thing is, and, and Brett, please correct me if I've got this wrong. My, my um, experience of looking at job roles in America is a lot of roles are, are quite always expect you to have a bachelor's degree of some type as well, don't they? I mean, it's, I think it's more of an American thing that is in the UK. I think you are correct in that, and uh, not to cheapen the you know the college degree or, or anything like that. I don't mean to do that, but you will see that often, and most of the time it is it is it could be a bachelor's degree in basket weaving. As long as you have one, we will talk to you. Um, yeah. Apparently, that means you're you're capable of learning or something. I'm not sure um, what the implication is, um, but you know, it, it is a very American uh, requ request or requirement that you'll often see on on job descriptions. And you describe IT asset depreciation via the medium of basket weaving. Ooh. <laughs> well, that's moving the goalpost, Martin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> seriously. And maybe that's why they have a degree in IT asset depreciation. There's a question. Well, I think this is a tasty global role for somebody. Looks really interesting. Mm. Uh, final point before we wrap up is thank you very much to our new listeners WhatsApp group, which has got a hundred and something people. Who knew? Who knew we had that many listeners? It's it's, it's really good to see. I mean, we're getting some great conversations going um, alongside, uh, and, and only one random piece of Bitcoin spam so far. So uh, that's that's a positive. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's really great just to be able to. Uh, talk to people who are doing this job pretty much everywhere in the world. Thanks, Kylie, for setting that up. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's absolutely. Nice. You're very welcome, guys. I just just to avoid the spam issue, I I've changed the link, so the link won't work anymore. But please do email me. Just just out of interest, is there any any percentage in in transferring it or transitioning it to another? platform where we could still have the same people in the chat and that also could be accessed mo uh, via mobiles but would would enable there to be um maybe some rudimentary checking when people come in because what whatsapp doesn't exactly lend itself to that does it i'm just wondering no. if there's any percentage no. in thinking about that yeah and if i guess if we get spammed again i'll just have to try and stamp on it he was very polite for a spammer. Oh, it was hysterical. <laughs> he was, was wasn't it? Clearly his first effort at spamming, my goodness. I mean, I was surprised he was even a person. I hit my target. <laughs> Poor bastard. I wonder, I wonder whether there was a mistake in, a case of mistaken identity, because obviously we've got asset management in the title. And if you're, if you're buying and selling Bitcoins, well, that's asset management, isn't it? It you is. Know, from wealth true. management and so on. So I'm wondering whether... That age-old thing where you, if you look on LinkedIn for asset management jobs, you get tons of financial ones. And nothing true. Very true. 
I think uh, keep joining, ask your questions, propose ideas for the radio show. Yeah. Um, you know, for, so uh, many of the people that have joined, right, know as much about ITAM or more than, than many of us, right? Yeah. So, you know, I look at it like, you know, the, the radio show regulars, you guys, I look at you guys as like these, these, these gods in the ITAM space, right? Um, and, and yeah, I know, blah, but uh, <laughs> you'll often, you know, I learned just as much from all those folks in the radio show, right? I mean, I, somebody posts a question, I don't have an answer. And the next thing you know, there's an answer. And it didn't come from somebody who's on the radio show, right? It came from some random person in the, on the other side of the globe, right? That were it not for this WhatsApp group, I may have never even heard of or never learned from, right? So I think it's great. A special thank you to our new WhatsApp group of ITW radio show listeners. Please join and contribute. We'd it's so nice to have that sense of community and, and not be talking into the either all the time, but there's people out there who are talking back, having a conversation. It's brilliant. Martin, I think the other key thing is that there is no such thing as a stupid question. A lot of people are like too afraid to ask, thinking, well, everyone knows the answer to this. Yeah. You know, and uh, not everyone does. The only stupid question is the one that doesn't get asked. Thank you guys, that's a wrap. Thanks Martin. Yeah, Thank you all. Sorry.